Welcome to the Got Academy podcast. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. It's going airborne. Well, we used to look up in the sky and wonder at our place in the stars. Hi, everybody. Hello, Dr. Utrevos. How are you doing? Privyet, Tovarish. <laughs> So, we are talking about, we're going to talk about Chernobyl, the hit miniseries, HBO miniseries, that I think Chernobyl is basically a metaphor for Game of Thrones. What happened, Game of Thrones season 8, the disaster, the debacle now, a fictional story about a power plant and people who, about lax regulation and an incredible disaster that cost a lot of lives. That's Game of Thrones season 8. A fictional story. Is it, is it not a fictional story? Chernobyl. Oh, yeah. okay, okay, okay. If this is real shit, man. Our oh. youth is finally becoming history. Uh, your youth. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, for me it was... Okay, take two. Okay, so we want to we wanna talk about Chernobyl. We're going to do a scientific and a historical take and breakdown about the HBO miniseries Chernobyl. On the scientific side, we're going to talk about... Because you're an evolutionary biologist, right, Rutger? Yeah. So what are we going to focus on, on the latter end of the podcast, on the scientific angle? Well, we can talk a little bit about how nature is doing right now in the area around Pripyat and what kind of effects it has had on the animals and the plants surrounding the nuclear facility. There was nothing sane about Chernobyl. Okay, okay, but we want to start with a historical political take. And also just like a take about the show. So I feel that one of the reasons that this has been such a popular show, and I think on IMDb it's rated the number one show of all Ever. time. Ever. Yeah. yeah. So it's a very, very, very good show, I think. Maybe the reason why people most like it, besides the fact that it's done very, very well, acted very, very well, is that it's kind of a, like a tragic, feel-good show. So on the one hand, like the moment it starts, when you see the explosion in the background through the window, and the woman sees it, like, you know, everything is going to go horribly wrong. And for like a good, like four episodes, even if you don't know the details, you are smarter than everybody in the story. You know more than everybody. People are saying, no, no, everything is right. The core has not exploded. Oh, I think uh, the Communist Party will uh, take care of things. Everything will be right. We know what we're, do- what we're doing. And you are smarter than all the nuclear physicists over there. And you know that the Soviet Union is going to collapse. So on the one hand, it's like watching a train wreck unfold. But on the other hand, you feel good because you are, again, you know more than everybody. And it's, uh, it's like a neat uh, narrative trick. To make you feel good about yourself. Ha <laughs> ha, these communists, they're so stupid. It took a full 18 days before the Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev made any public pronouncement on the nuclear disaster at Chernobyl. He told his fellow countrymen that the worst is now behind them. It's amazing how little they knew, or at least how they are displayed, how little they know. Like you see these people standing on the railway bridge, 
and they're just like wow look at the blue light and you think well this is this is the mid 80s do they really not know what uh, like radiation is and uh, you see the little uh, ash particles rain down yes. on them oh it's horrific <sighs> on the kids and stuff wow this is really hard there's some re- there's there's some parts that are really hard like this man trying to get uh, this woman to take his baby this is like holocaust level hard Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! It's not a fun watch uh, in any sort of way. And you binged it in one in one evening, Rutger? Are you crazy? Uh, in two evenings. Yeah, in two evenings. Oh, yeah, you have no soul, no soul. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about how they portray uh, the dear communist party, the People's Party, which is ridiculed ridiculed in every sort of way in this story and actually you mentioned earlier that this is your youth right so you live in holland so this was actually relevant you remember this growing up yeah very clearly yeah i'm i'm 43 now i was born in 1975 and so i sort of became aware of the whole world you know sometime in the early 80s like when you were seven or eight or whatever mm-hmm. and that time frame um, if I can take our listener back to that time for a moment. So when you're a kid and you, and you start to be, become aware of the world, then the first president, for example, of the US that you learn about is the one who's been in power your whole life, as far as you know, right? Mm. So, for example, I don't remember anything about Jimmy Carter. I remember Reagan had been the president forever, right? <laughs> <laughs> And, oh and no, so, so my daughter will, for her, Trump will... Exactly, will, for will our kids, it's going to be Trump. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. go on, go on. And, so, and then at that time, like the, the whole pop culture was kind of filled with this whole Cold War paranoia and maybe halfway joking, ironic, halfway serious. There were lots of movies about nuclear war. And also really scary ones like The Day After and Threads. Mm. And there was also lots of songs uh, about how, you know, the bomb is going to be dropped. Like the, the biggest hit at the time was this Dutch song also called The Bomb. And the chorus was like, okay, go ahead and drop it then. It'll happen anyway. And it doesn't matter if you run. <laughs> all very nihilistic and right right it's hard to think about it now it's like as if it was like in another planet or dimension or something yeah and and i remember actually thinking as a kid when i was i guess maybe like okay seven or eight something like that and i remember um, this moment very vividly where i thought this could be my last thought (gasps) oh no i really believed like okay they could just press the button anytime and we're done Right, and we know what happened when they pressed the button. When they pressed the button, they thought that it would take care of everything. But no, when they pressed the button, the the reactor blew off. It was like a, figuratively, and it was a red button. Right, the button was it, red. They, they did press the red button. <laughs> they did exactly what was what we all knew was <laughs> no the button next to it, not this yeah, button. Not, uh, <laughs> We shouldn't have put... This is a very bad UI to put, like, the red button explode... <laughs> to make everything explode next to the button to shut off the nuclear reactor. No! <laughs> but you don't remember, like, maybe, I don't know, saying on the news that you shouldn't go out in some days after the thing. No, it wasn't something in Holland, in the Netherlands. Well, a little bit. Um, 
the the world was kind of weird in that I I really believed that there were these two equally matched power blocks and that they would stick around forever. Mm-hmm. In within a few years that whole image of the Soviet Union just collapsed, right? There was yeah. like okay they were doing poorly in Afghanistan and Ronald Reagan dedicated the space shuttle to the Mujahideen. <laughs> ah, I didn't I don't remember know. that one. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and who would later become the <laughs> Taliban, so that was kind yeah, of a yeah. weird move. <laughs> and there was this succession of these different uh, party leaders uh, leading up to Gorbachev. There was a couple in a row because they were all getting super old, right? This was like the last ones who were sort of had been kids in 1917 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so they were all dying out. And there was this thing that maybe in Europe was... Uh, uh, the biggest news this guy Matthias Rust a German who flew a little Cessna plane one of those sports planes onto the Red Square from Germany so he bypassed all the air defenses of the Warsaw Pact and he landed in Moscow and and, and, uh, he was uh, they sent him back home (laughs) but what would cause a 19 year old to do such a thing Gust said he was inspired by a German comic book series featuring a space-traveling hero called Perry Roden. Instead of a spaceship, he had his plane. He wanted to save the world because, in his opinion, U.S. President Ronald Reagan and Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev couldn't manage it. It was like, uh, not Himmler, who's the guy, that uh, the Nazi guy that flew into the U.K.? Oh, right. Uh, uh, no, it's not him. No. Not um, Himmler, but something sounds, uh, sounds similar. Oh, these yeah. Nazis are the same. Yeah, he, he, uh, he, they, the British, they kept him. Yeah, yeah they kept uh, him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He thought he was going to make peace. Yeah, 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 yeah. Weirdo. Weirdo, yeah. And, and for, for myself, the, the thing that really showed how much the Soviet bloc was not strong was when my parents took my brothers and I on a family vacation to Czechoslovakia. Ah. Uh, I think it was in 85. And so you could actually, as a Western European, you could go on holiday to the Eastern Bloc, but you had to make, you know, ample preparation. Like you have to get the visa and you have to indicate, okay, where are you going to go from day to day? Like, okay, we're going to go to Prague, we're going to go to Bratislava, a couple of other places. And how much money are you going to spend and you had to spend a lot of your money also in these shops. There was a chain called Tuzex where they accepted a Western currency because they needed Western money. So mm. if you brought like Deutschmarks or something, that was mm. good for them. Okay. And we were there and every, the quality of everything was just so crappy. Like the toilet paper was kind of too thick and too thin at the same time. <laughs> and like the, the chocolate was terrible uh, and like everything was just low quality. And this is the, anti-Soviet the, propaganda. Totally. And, and the real eye-opener was that, okay, we were driving around. And so you have to imagine, okay, Western family, big family vehicle. We were also going to go to Italy later that summer vacation. So we had the surfboards on the roof. And we had all the fluorescent, like the O'Neill sportswear from the 80s. Like we looked like Martians to the Czechs, right? (laughs) And we were driving down this country road and we pulled up behind an army truck. And it was like, I guess maybe Red Army or the local Czech Army, I don't know. But so it was like a troop transport with these conscript kids, you know, like like 18 year olds Mm. or something, right? And so that that, that was the guys, right? That was the scary guys, the Soviets. And they just looked so pitiful. And at some point, the truck stopped. We were like, I guess there was a traffic jam or I don't know what. And we were behind them. And my parents were like, shall we, do you want to give them some cookies? 
<laughs> so we had these Dutch biscuits and got out of the car and started giving them to those soldiers. And they were just like, oh, this is the best thing ever. Oh, it was no. so good. We love Dutch cookies. Oh, this is so, so sad. So that was the Soviet block, right? And in that whole context oh. of sort of falling from grace or whatever yeah. is also when Chernobyl happened. So that was like one of the nails in the coffin that you all of a sudden see what well, the fuck up everything is there. So it hit the news. Something's wrong. We don't really like the Russians aren't saying anything, but obviously radiation is being picked up. And so then the, the Dutch government formed this sort of task group, like, okay, what's what's up? We could play outside. So it was like Holland is from the perspective of Chernobyl behind Germany, right? So, right. for example, in some parts of Germany, they still had like, okay, no kids playing outside. Now, that was fine. Um, but there was especially some sort of interventions in like agriculture, like the, the cattle had to stay inside, I guess, or not feed on the meadows for a couple of weeks oh, okay. until, it, like, until the next rain had come by or something like mm. that. And especially we weren't supposed to eat spinach. For some reason, that For didn't make reason. sense to anybody at the time. <laughs> uh, so then I looked it up just now in sort of preparation because I thought, well, maybe like does spinach, spinach is supposed to have a lot of iron? Is, does it somehow have something to do with that? No, it's that when you uh, cook spinach, like you take a, a massive bag, right? Yeah. And you wilt it or yeah. boil it and it con condenses, collapses into this tiny little yeah. amount. Yeah. So that the thinking was, well, then people would really concentrate the radioactivity if you eat spinach compared to, you know, potatoes or something like that, What? which are more bulky. And so that was the entire logic, basically. And oh, yeah, and people make baby food out of spinach. So, okay, no spinach allowed during oh. Chernobyl. That was the main memory of um, how it affected okay. our lives. So I think this is also a, a good segue to to the next point, which is how the Soviets are portrayed as uh, imbeciles who know nothing about nothing and who can't operate anything. It was a speech designed to calm Soviet fears and end Western doubts about the ability of this country to cope with a national disaster. But because it took the Kremlin leadership more than two weeks to face up to the problem, It may be a long time before those twin goals can be accomplished. Dean Reynolds, ABC News, Moscow. And, okay, so they didn't know what they were doing uh, with, uh, with a nuclear reactor. So I can't, I, I'm watching this and I was like, okay, I'm not going to be, you know, a USSR apologist or anything. But I do remember something more recent, like Hurricane Katrina, let's say. How did the U.S. handle that? They had information about the levees before. They had information about the hurricane coming. They didn't do the evacuation very well. They didn't do the crowd control at all very well. It was like a combat zone over there. They didn't do the resettlement over there. They didn't do the compensation. Very, they didn't do anything very well. They actually was like, uh, like venture capitalists coming in and taking over the city. I also remember like the 9-11 the, the first responders coming in. Everybody knows that they're sick, but they're not getting the health care that they need and that, uh, that they're, supposed to go, uh, they're supposed to get them. I also kind of remember what is happening right now <laughs> with climate change. Like yeah. you have the U.S. administration 
like striking the word the word climate change from everything like in the you know in official papers they don't want to say climate change they don't want to talk about climate change and they're actually working very 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 hard to increase pollution like everything any regulation that is there to decrease pollution and regular pollution like no let's take it down because we want all more pollution because we have donors who pay us money so uh, like this uh, a little bit of uh, like a gloating feeling well like, haha you're so stupid I think is misplaced yeah, there's there's different or um, stakeholders who are worried about the PR that's really the main thing so for the Soviets it was the Communist Party but for something like the disaster with the deep water horizon or the Exxon yeah. Valdez It's just like the lobbyists, uh, they are worried about the PR and they fuck yeah. everything up. Like, yeah. And we know exactly, we remember these disasters where like this, this gusher is, is flowing into the Gulf of Mexico for like a month. Yeah. And like, <laughs> how can we stop up. it? We don't know. How, yeah. how come it's there? We don't know. <laughs> I'm not prepared to draw conclusions about this accident until such time as the investigation has concluded. Well, this is an investigation. That's what this committee is doing. It's an investigatory committee. Uh, and we expect you to cooperate with us. Are you failing to cooperate with other investigators as well? Because they're going to have a hard time reaching conclusions if you stonewall them, which is what we... seem to be getting today I, I'm not stonewalling I, I simply was not involved in the decision-making process but like when you are more concerned with PR and ideology and and status that ideology could be communist and could be capitalist then you are putting other things above above society and human lives and to and to, to, to give a little bit credit I don't know quotation mark whatever uh, half ironic credits to the Soviets they do have the advantage did have the advantage of like declaring you know national Soviet projects what materials do you need you need all the sand <laughs> in the Soviet Union you have all the sand that's it we don't need to don't need to talk about it you need a quarter of a billion people of a million people okay we have a quarter of a million people so there is like all the money and the manpower you need and also you have a good story to To get people to volunteer and risk or give away their own lives for the many for the happiness of all mankind yes so it's of course it's silly blah 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 but in a capitalist country how would you get like fit young able able men to give away their own lives for people they don't know for no it's like a it's like it's like a, it's like a nation of individuals so why would I give my, my my life for somebody else who lives in another state? Or something no you give your life but when you well, have like a common idea a common story it's like okay so you will give your life to go to the army because you have a story okay I'm giving my life in the army because this and that but what's the story that unites everybody in the deep water horizon if you have to to ask just regular people to to give away their lives let the CEO dive in Uh, heroism I guess is universal though right like the firefighters at 9/11 yes. and the cops yes. uh, right. and and in the military and ironically or maybe not ironically those are very sort of socialist kind of organizations right. where everybody is in uniforms and there's government funding uh, yeah. I don't know that's probably just an accident <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder but yeah 
I wonder, yeah. But yeah. What, what, one thing, though, that you also have to maybe give the Soviets credit for is that they had a lot of respect, and they still have a lot of respect for scientists, in mm. fact. Explain. Russians, Russians respect scientists a lot more than Americans do. So the, these people like Legasov and the Ulana woman, like the Belarusian uh, nuclear physicist, okay, she was kind of made up, yeah. by the way. But they, they did listen to them yeah. in a way that maybe climate scientists are not being listened to to the same extent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, it's like, so now, now you are trying to undermine the very fact that science exists. And also, okay, so this is another point. Like a, a major theme, right, in the, in the miniseries is truth versus lies and fake news, misinformation, they call it disinformation, misinformation. But this is also like a sign of our times, right? With fake news and lies and, and, and like the lies will, will, like the truth will, will always catch up to you. So I guess this is like a metaphor for, for climate change and not a wink to climate change. So you can say that nothing is happening. No, 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 everything is fine. The reactor is not exploding. No, there are the, there is no climate change, but things are actually happening in the world and it doesn't matter if you lie or if you tell the truth. Yeah, the, the, the creator of this show, uh, in some interviews, he actually points that out. Ah, that okay. the, the real point of the miniseries is to show that the truth always going to catch up eventually. Like the, the truth doesn't care about your ideology. Yeah. Right? yeah, or the money of your donors. And Chernobyl was like a real-life, huge, high-stakes uh, Milgram experiment. This guy says, do it, trust me. Trust me, I'm an engineer. <laughs> I've been doing this for 25 years. Just press the buttons. It's a very powerful thing. Like you try, you, you, you want to hope that you will act differently in this situation when somebody tells you to do something that you know is very, very wrong and detrimental. But most people don't. Yeah, well, the, yeah. Yeah, and the, the guys in the control room say, well, we did everything right. Right. Like, we did what we were supposed to do. I mean, it's almost the Nuremberg defense, right? I was, I was following orders. I was, right. I, had, I was told to press the button, so I pressed the button. Right, right. And if it's not me, somebody else would have pressed the button. I'm just like, a tick, 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 tick. It's not, I'm not uh, going out of my way to kill Jews and to destroy this... Uh... Just happens to be my job. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta put uh, food on my family. So what am I supposed to do? You have to put food on your family. I don't know how you do things in the Netherlands. <laughs> Here. You don't. You don't remember that quote from George W. Bush? Ah, sorry, uh, sorry. I at some point, he was talking about hardworking Americans who have to put food on their families. And you're working hard to put food on your family. <laughs> sorry, uh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's a good one. It'll take time to restore chaos. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Too many good docs are getting out of business. Too many OBGYNs aren't able to practice their, their love with women all across this country. That's a good one. Ah, I miss the days when the U.S. had a smart political, uh, had a smart pre president. Ah, yeah, yeah. A stable genius. A very, uh, right now. comparatively speaking, it was a very special genius. Well, I, I, uh, I understand that the unrest in the Middle East creates unrest throughout the region. Africa is a nation that suffers from incredible disease. There was this scene, right? They were waiting. 
the Legasov and the, and the party guy, they were waiting to get into it. I think it was like the, 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 the fourth or the fifth episode. They were waiting in the, in the Kremlin to get into the, the committee. And there was this painting behind them of a man holding another man. Do you remember that? Yes, I uh, think that's Ivan the Terrible. I thought I can look it up, but on a second thought, I bet that Rutger already knows it. <laughs> so you'll be my Google, please. Well, I, I, I just recognized the, the painting, but I don't really remember the setting. Uh, so <laughs> Sorry, I was half I, right. I'm not, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ivan the Terrible. Oh, it's here. Okay, let's Wikipedia this. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Ivan the Terrible and his son, Ivan, on November 16, 1581, a painting by Ilya Repin, who is this famous, very realist painter. Okay. And the picture portrays a grief-stricken Ivan the Terrible cradling his mortally wounded son, the Tsarevich Ivan Ivanovich. The elder Ivan himself is believed to have dealt the fatal blow to his son. Ah, okay. Right, All so right. this is... Of, of course there is a lot of symbolism yeah. here, right? It's the elder, the state dealing fatal blows to their children. Yeah, and then then feeling sorry about it. Yes. Do you want to get uh, to the sciencey part? So we are now 30 years later, 33 years later, whatever. Nope. It was 86, right? Nope. So they were saying, right, so for 100 years at least, humans will not be able to live there. So how comes in that nature is uh, growing there? What's going on there? I think part of this uh, this podcast should be us combating radiophobia <laughs> <laughs> radiations without borders yes uh i mean okay Why? it's a, it it was a big big disaster um around the disaster itself a, f- a few dozen men firefighters and so on died of acute radiation sickness okay. right and then in the aftermath it's very hard to say exactly how many, but on the order of thousands of people... Yeah, or dozens of thousands. ...have had their lives cut short. Right. Which is, which is a lot. But. I said there's a but going. How, how, how can you have a but? Well, exactly. There's, there's a but coming up. Like, when you, when you think about... Okay, around that same time, does anybody still remember the Piper Alpha disaster? I don't know what you're talking about. No, what's no. that? So there was, there was, like, an oil platform, which basically also exploded, and in the explosion... Three times as many workers died Where? as died at Chernobyl. It was in the in the North Sea here, uh, off off the Dutch coast, well, a bit further to the north. I think. So it was like Western European, like NATO this, ally, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Oh. There was just there was there was the main oil industry, right? So that's all, all of a sudden that's already three times as many. When you think of the like the Bhopal disaster in India, this poison cloud, how many people died? Like. 15,000 or something like that, like an insane amount. Okay. Right. And do we remember those are also disasters from the 80s? Do we remember those? No. No. And when you think about, okay, so we have this whole uh, economy that is like we need energy, okay? We need energy and we know all, yeah, and we all know that, okay, we're we're on a course headed to disaster, but we can we cannot cut short the energy supply. Like if in a major city, for example, the energy goes out all the way within 72 hours, it's Mad Max kind of time, right? <laughs> we, we need the energy. And where is it going to come from? Now we get it mostly from fossil fuel and... So, for example, they, they looked at, well, what is the effect of air pollution, which a lot of it is from fossil fuels, right? So, like the, the fine dust particles, fine stau, 
in Europe, uh, annually, there's said to be 800,000 extra deaths because of the air pollution. 800,000. And worldwide, that's like 8 million or something. There was like a medical study okay. from COPD and stuff like that. And not everything is from fossil fuels. It's also from agriculture, but maybe it's like half. Okay, that's okay. like half a million deaths or something like that, okay. right? From a asthma and okay. various cancers and whatnot. If we switch to nuclear, we also have our energy and we don't have any of those dust particles. Oh. We don't have any of that air pollution and we're not funding Oof. these disastrous states, right. the, oh. like the, the petrodollar is going in the wrong direction. Yeah, but you also have like uranium uh, like resources right in Africa. That's also going to be a problem, right? In the, whatever they have, uh, like minerals and stuff that you will go and dig up now. Uranium is relatively easy to come by, comparatively speaking. Okay. Um, I guess we would get it from Canada or something, right? So okay. the, it wouldn't work in the same way as with the oil deposits, which are really localized uh, in, okay. in places where we have to bring the freedom because they're sitting right on top of our oil, right? Right. They have to be free, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The oil has to be freed and the people also. Yes, yes. Yeah. So basically, okay, so as you were saying it, I'm like, but radiation is scary. You can't see it. It's like, it's like, from a, it's like aliens from a, from a different dimension. How come you just walk and you get sick just like from being close to, some, to the most dangerous place on Earth? So do you want to... Can, can we see climate change? Can we see the fine dust particles that we're all breathing in right now? Right, it is a yeah. bit phobic. It is. Right? We're being okay. a bit. Phobic. Why? Why do you do you have any idea why? Because people can't see me now. You can see me, but I'm, I'm like holding my head in like in terror now. <laughs> this is, nuclear energy is very scary. It's very scary. We think it because it is something so new, and we see it as kind of unnatural. Like in the same way that we see GMOs, or a lot of people see GMOs kind of unnatural. I'm also for those. No. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh. No. So, by the way, okay, so I work at the, uh, uh, the Natural History Museum of the Netherlands. <laughs> which is financed which is, by the Nuclear Energy Department. No, 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 no which is also the National Biodiversity Center. Okay. Um, but I now am speaking only in the capacity as a private person. So let that be known <laughs> that these are just my own opinions. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get a bullet in your head? <laughs> no, 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 but to, uh, just so that nobody says, well, naturalist scientist uh, says this okay, or that. Okay, okay, okay. Um, but I think we do need the nuclear. Why, why? Convince me. Because we need the energy. And so, for example, well, th there was another nuclear disaster. The, the, second, the second best one was the Fukushima yeah. right, in uh, Japan, ah. where, by the way, we were talking about, okay, who would sacrifice themselves? And in Japan, the liquidators were actually old dudes because they said, well, okay, we do this. Ah. First of all, we do this for Japan because like right. in Japan, they have this real community right. spirit. And they say, well, we're old anyway. We'll be dead before we get the cancer. So fuck it. We'll, well, we'll, we'll be the liquidators. Well, I'll do it. I would do it if I were an old Japanese person. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But in the aftermath of that... Uh, major panic uh, broke out in Germany and they closed down all their nuclear power plants mm -hmm. because they thought, oh, this is dangerous and polluting and all that. And so they had to turn back on those brown coal power plants, which are massively polluting. And, and that seems like a terrible idea. Why this false choice? Why not have just like, you know, wind turbines and solar energy? Of course, there are problems with that, right? Birds and stuff. We can but try and improve along the way, make it better. 
sure, uh, uh, that also, but it just looks like it's really not making much of a dent, isn't it? Um, in the Netherlands, we're building wind farms quite a bit, also out out at sea. Uh, we're mm. we're in the planning and building really massive ones, and the, of course that's also making a contribution. It's going to make a contribution, but, but when you look at the whole pie chart of like all the investment that's being done in re, uh, okay. in renewables, it's a, it's a, still a tiny sliver, and and the largest part of it is more like. Um, uh, hydro, hydroelectric, right. uh, electric, but then, okay, you need mountains, right? So that wouldn't work for us. It works for some countries. But, yeah, renewables, it's not doing enough, right? We have to have made a real, real, real dent in where the energy comes from in the next, like, 10 years or so. Um, so maybe another problem <laughs> I'm trying here, right? Maybe another problem within nuclear power plants is that relatively easy you can turn them into military facilities right military grade nuclear material no not necessarily iran they say we're just building uh no relatively easy after you have it it's like i don't know two years something like that i think I'm not a nuclear scientist but uh, bb had all these pictures in the un and he pointed and he had a chart of a bomb so come on come on oh, oh we're believing bb all of a sudden <laughs> just first time i hear you say that <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm I'm editing this out. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm trying. Like, so you're saying that numbers-wise, even taking into account Chernobyl and Fukushima, and basically that's the two biggest uh, nuclear disasters ever. No. Even taking that into account, it's still better than burning coal. Yes. Actually, there was also a study just like the other, like last week, about the plastic particles that we breathe. Right, yeah. like thirty thousand over a year per person. Yeah, and, and it's not just what we breathe; it's it's everywhere. The little plastic um, microfibers and stuff like that. Yeah, we we live in the Anthropocene, right? So the uh, mm-hmm. geologists uh, divide up time in these different geological eras, which are characterized by different deposits that okay. you can find as you drill down and you look back, you know millions of years and now we live in a geological era named after ourselves ah. and anthropos means like man or okay. human the anthropocene because all over the earth everywhere where you would look you're going to find traces of human activity at the bottom of the ocean floors right. anywhere right someone uh, found like in the uh, one of the deepest places in the ocean just like a few weeks ago found like a plastic bottle or something like that, yeah. right? This sure. diver, oh my goodness. I'm pleased to report that the situation in Chernobyl is stable. In terms of radiation, I'm told it's the equivalent of a chest X-ray. What happens when you have a nuclear disaster? You evacuate the humans, you kill the animals that are there. What happens yeah. 30 years later? And what can we expect yeah. in the future? Well, it's, there's a couple of things to understand about these events. So on the one hand, radiation, okay, it, it radiates outwards, right? Okay. And so it, it goes down by distance, all else being equal by the, the inverse square law, I guess. It, okay, it diminishes quite rapidly. Okay. But on the other hand, it is also really patchy and concentrated in specific parts. So, for example, these specific blocks of graphite, yeah. which were just around the uh, bits of uranium, 
you you touch those and you right. were fucked yeah. and like you stand two meters away and you're not so bad and so that also happens in nature that it really gets concentrated in very specific parts mm. of specific organisms so for example fungi uh, really absorb um, ah. radiation and so then the animals that eat the fungi like wild boar they get quite radioactive okay. and the animals that kill the boars they eat the boars exactly so that's why there's uh, uh, they put a stop on uh, hunting like so in the Netherlands there's not a lot of hunting but for example in Scandinavia there's quite a few people that go out in nature and like shoot uh, like a wild boar or whatever or reindeer for example mm. uh, and it gets it gets concentrated in those animals and then also in specific parts of the body so like in the thyroid Uh, which is where the, uh, iodine accumulates, so that gets that's more radioactive. Yeah, so that's in the neck. So that's why a lot of people, in especially in Belarus and in Ukraine, receive what is known as the Chernobyl necklace, mm. which is an operation to take out the thyroid. And the scar is this little, mm. uh, like this cut at the base of the neck in the front, where normally there would be a pretty necklace. But why, how does it affect the Scandinavians, what happened, like, because the radiation... So the radioactive clouds, they uh, sort of, the way the weather system was at the time, the radioactive cloud especially flew over Scandinavia. And so there it was deposited. And actually, so the first Westerners to detect right. it were the Swedes right. as well, right? So, so now the boars living in Scandinavia still are radioactive? No, no, no. No, I mean, we're now generations down the line, right? So, so what happened about, like, okay, in, like, in like Ground Zero, in Chernobyl? So, so in Ground Zero, so on the one hand, we're always being uh, told, well, radioactivity sticks around enormously long. Yeah. And so here comes the disclaimer, I'm not a nuclear physicist, but oh. it really depends on which elements you're talking about, uh, and others do decay. And so, for example, I saw this really interesting photo of the elephant's foot. Have you heard about the elephant's foot? No. So what happened? Uh, well, there was the meltdown, right? So the, the actual core continues to uh, do the nuclear fission. And it's very hot. And so it melts down through the floor, through the base of the reactor, down into the building. And that's also why they had to put in... The, the miners underneath the building to put then this heat exchanger for which they needed all the liquid nitrogen in the Soviet Union. <laughs> you got it. You got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and actually they, what they didn't show in the series, but what I, I heard about later was that um, all the liquid nitrogen in the Soviet Union was collected by one of the guys who was going to be charged by the malfeasance of the whole operation at the nuclear reactor. And they said, you're going to get all the liquid nitrogen in the Soviet Union or we'll shoot you. Ah, okay. So he was very motivated to get, to get the liquid yeah, nitrogen. That's a good he, he, worked, yeah. he worked around the clock, <laughs> I can tell you. <laughs> um, but so, so the, the meltdown happens. Uh, so there's the uranium, and then it starts to mix with all the, the zirconium shielding material and the sand and the lead that they right. threw on top. And it creates a new mineral, which they called corium. 
So huh. it's just made out of the nuclear core. Corium is being created. Wow. And it's like a radioactive lava that sort of seeps down into the building and through these different shafts that run through the building. And at, at, at one point, it deposited in this shape that looks like an elephant's foot, okay. which is like, a, 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 like two meters diameter, something like that. And that was by far the most radioactive thing uh, that had been in existence until then, wow. something like that. And that's, be- and that's below ground. That's below ground. So you'd have to go in the area where the divers went, basically, and somewhere there, there's the elephant's foot. Oh, okay. Initially, you would stand, like, if you stood a meter away from it, you were dead within three minutes. But now there's, uh, I saw, like, a, a decade later or so, one of the Ukrainian scientists took a selfie next to, <laughs> next to the elephant's foot. Oh, my goodness. And so the, the decay is actually happening, and it's now, I mean, it's still highly highly radioactive but it's already diminished quite substantially nobody lives in chernobyl oh yeah sure people live in chernobyl people people went back to chernobyl people live in uh, so there's well there's a bunch of different types of people so there's a couple of those uh, sort of babushkas who said well uh-huh. look i've lived through the nazis right. and the holodomor and everything else right. Uh, right. I'm, if, if I get cancer, I'd have to live until 130, so I'll take my chances. Right. So they stuck around, and they still stick around. Right, that's very Russian. Special. I like that the, that bit in the in the show. That's like like supreme Russian. Like yeah, fuck it. Like I've, I've lived through everything else. Yeah. This is fine. Come on, this is okay. radiation. It'll be nice and quiet here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. I'm gonna kick its ass. Yeah. Uh, so there's still a couple of them, um, and there's uh, but there's also, of course people working still at the facility. So first of all, they turned down the other three reactors in the year 2000 or thereabouts. So all throughout the 90s, Kiev was still being uh, supplied by Chernobyl (laughs) with energy. Um, But so they were still running that. And then uh, now there's been this construction work on a new sarcophagus over the other right. sarcophagus. Right, there was a picture right? after the show, right? They showed it. Okay, what's that? Yeah, so the, in, the, in, the pic- in the show they showed the initial sarcophagus and then over that they built this giant sort of dome which finished like a year ago or something mm. like that. And so there's people that have to work on that. Right, okay. But they go by rotation, right? So right. they... Uh, you can be there for a little while. You can also, you can even, you can book a vacation tour to Pripyat. There's like really? sort of this extreme survival tours <laughs> where you go into the zone and you look around for a bit and that's sort of fine. I guess. And, the an- and there's like animals over the, like over there, I don't know, like deer and wolves. I don't know. There's, like, a, there's a lot of animals actually. The, uh, the wildlife uh, has done quite well. Uh, so it again. So this is really patchy, right? So initially, uh, a lot of animals that lived around there got thyroid problems, also. But since then, um, also new animals have come in, and actually, also uh, animals have been released because they, both in Ukraine and Belarus, they turned it into a radio ecological park. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so they also released, for example, these uh, Przewalski horses, these wild horses, and there's like a. Uh, a stable uh, uh, population of them. Uh, there's wolves, there's bears, there's uh, wild oh. boar. You also do see, I mean, let's not downplay it too much. <laughs> you also see effects, of course, in, in a lot of these uh, uh, populations. Um, for example, you see in birds, there's been albinism, so weird sort of discolorations in the feathers. So clearly there's some mutations going on there. This 
part of the forest, the, the so-called Red Forest, just died uh, very early on. Um, and of course, there is parts that are still highly radioactive, but there's other parts that are actually fine. And so the people that live there, and there's, they actually they do collect mushrooms, and actually when you run a Geiger counter on them, if you know where to go, or you pick the right ones, it's fine. And you go fishing, and the fish is fine. Okay, you add radiation, but you took in, you took out one element that was more detrimental, detrimental and harmful for wildlife and for nature than like a hundred gazillion times more than the radiation. That's humans, that's yep. human population. Yep. So now, the, if I was a horse, I would rather go over there in Chernobyl and have cancer and die after 15 years than be in a stable. I don't know. Yeah. There was also like an interesting uh, f- uh, small factoid at the end, right, about this woman that was at the beginning, right, with her husband, the firefighter who died. She was pregnant and uh, thankfully they didn't show anything about her. Lyudmila uh, Ignachenko. Okay, yes, her. That, she yes. Na- that, that scientists have told her that she will never be able to bear children. But they were wrong. She now has yeah. a baby. So, yeah. I don't know. Maybe climate change is also wrong. I don't know. I'm just saying. They were wrong. <laughs> yeah, and those divers, I guess... Uh, right, the divers also. <laughs> they're still alive. Or two out of three are still alive. Something like that. That's crazy. Like, you go with the little... Okay, so this is uh, a, a bit of a Dutch uh, Dutch memorabilia. So these flashlights that you have to pinch. Okay. In Dutch, they're called knijpkat, which means like cat pinch or something okay. like you just squeeze the cat and it's it's a term from the second world war because the you were supposed to have blackouts and there were batteries or whatever and so with those little the the, the cat pincher <laughs> and the little rubber suit you go That's underneath it. a nuclear meltdown oh and you live yeah. <laughs> it's crazy it's crazy and another thing about about science there's always like the human element human element is what makes all these disasters possible. Something happens that we don't foresee. Somebody makes a decision that is not professional. I think that like professionalism is a term that does not reflect human society or, 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 or any human in any sort of discipline from being a nuclear physicist to being a gardener to being a, whatever, a professional sports player. So maybe just like the possibility of very, very few people causing incredible damage is more scary for us than, I don't know, an institution slowly but surely, you know, just like shaving years and days off of our lives. It's not rational, maybe, but it's... I don't know. It's like, okay, whatever. Shit happens. Like, we feel like these old Russian women. Well, I, I guess part of it is sort of this Murphy's Law, right? So they knew about, well, actually, there's graphite where there should be the, the other stuff. Yeah. And we already kind of knew that under the right, wrong circumstances, there could be a flash of actually increased um, fission and things could go pear-shaped really quickly. But it, it seems such an obscure combination of circumstances that'll never yeah, happen. Never. And of course it does. Uh-huh. Uh, so on the one hand, yeah. So on the one hand, individual people could do the worst, worst things, 
uh, imaginable. And that happened in, you know, in the Soviet empire in the 80s. But we also have to give credit in the other direction that uh, sometimes also there's individuals who do actually do the best thing ever yeah. despite the entire system, which is also something yes. that actually happened during those same 80s, right? right. There was uh, also under Reagan, there was this exercise, which I think was called Able Archer or something like that. Uh, so it was, was like a nuclear readiness test by NATO. The Russians, they had these weird Soviet computer systems that didn't work so well. And they thought, like, the computer said, okay, it's go time, it's all-out nuclear war, hit that red button right now because we have to counter-strike. And then there was this one Russian dude who was like, yeah, I don't know, man, I think these computers sometimes, they fail a little, I'm just going to wait this out, not follow any orders, and not blow up the entire planet. And so he just waited it out, and then uh, yeah. we all lived. Ah, <laughs> Otherwise, you. we wouldn't be here, thanks to that Russian dude. Thank you, Boris. Right, so it, exactly. <laughs> so thank you. Good job right there. Actually, it's also... Uh, I forgot about it. It's also a recurring theme in the, in the story, which is maybe, you know, because this is a Western show, a Western way of telling the story. It's like the individuals against, against the system, like the roles of the single persons making the single decisions like uh, the, the nuclear scientist uh, Legasso and the party guy with him and like taking personal risks for the many. And speaking of Legasso, so the, the actor Jared Harris did a very, very good job. And have you seen Mad Men, uh, Part of it, yeah. So he was, uh, I don't remember his character's name in Mad Men, but he now has, spoiler alert, sorry, <laughs> should have said that earlier, two suicides by hanging. He, ha- he hung himself in Mad Men, and now he hanged himself uh, in Chernobyl. So he's like maybe the next Sean Bean. The acting is very good in very general. Good. Um, I also thought the uh, uh, Boris Cherbina guy, uh, Stellan Skarsgård, wow. is just a, an amazing actor. Amazing actor. Who is actually also in one of the King Arthur movies, right? He's the Saxon uh, king. Right, 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 right. He can do, he's a shapeshifter. Oh man, he's good. And also yeah. the guy who who, who plays like the, 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 the big asshole, not Akimov, the other guy, like the supreme asshole who caused this whole thing, Paul Ritter. Oh, yeah. Now I can see his yeah. name is Paul Ritter. Wow, he was so obnoxious. Like if I see him on the street, I would like to punch him, which is a testament to his uh, acting ability. I, I think the cinematography in general is very good. Yeah. Also, just the way they made it all look, the the clothing that people wear. Uh, the whole the infrastructure and everything and one of the biggest compliments I think mm. that you could make for this show is uh, as I was I was looking so, through some YouTube videos about it mm. right and in the comments there was a, a bunch of people from Ukraine who said well finally you know our youth that that look that Soviet look is actually being portrayed quite accurately ah. in the West right so not the old, like, uh, the Soviet baddies with the this, this super soldiers and all that kind of stuff. No, the actual, the way their life was is being portrayed pretty damn accurately. Ah. And, that is, and that's a great job. So yeah. this is, uh, I think this is something that uh, also people over there would enjoy watching. And they also don't feel condescended by the weird, you know, accents. Uh, Hello, comrades. Yes. But uh, they, <laughs> you know, they just speak English, so it's not so distracting to hear the goofy accents. Yeah. Uh, so it's very well made, I think. Yeah. I think also, like, the, there was a part, like, in Moscow, the street where uh, Legasov was approached by the KGB. 
Um, so I spent like a day in Kiev, but it felt to me like a street that I walked out in Kiev. And I'm not sure they actually shot in Moscow. And now there was like, I, I read yesterday, there was, it was on the news that the Russians are now producing their own version of, uh, of Chernobyl, like a movie or a TV series, a very, very patriotic movie to show that there was a CIA agent. <laughs> <laughs> that was the reason for everything to show you that that's this communist mentality is not like a left-wing thing it's just this uh i don't know uh, nationalist uh, chauvinist uh, way of thinking uh, that we are the best every everybody else is wrong we just have to protect ourselves against uh, everybody and if we have to kill information we will kill information I thought you were going to say that the Russians were going to make a very well-made, accurate documentary about Three Mile Island. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? What's that? Oh, that, that, is the, that is the third place. That takes the bronze medal for nuclear disasters. Ah, where is that? That was in the States. Ah. Uh, yeah, but they had better shielding material. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's more expensive, but okay, they, they shelled out and they paid the money for better shielding. Mm-hmm. Because Americans are better than Russians. That's, I felt like a little bit, the one thing that I didn't like in the show. It was a little bit condescending in that way, I felt. But a little I bit, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Okay, Rutger, I had a blast. I had a blast. Yep. And so you want our next one to be, which podcast do you want to be the next one? Do you want to be the King Arthur one, the next one that we post? This podcast is, is coming out very urgently. Uh, and after that, we are good to go with the King Arthur podcast almost. There's like mm-hmm. some edits still to be done. So let's just push that out, one out there. We're already pushing it on Twitter anyway. Right. After that, I would say the Natural Disaster right. movies. I think, did, did we talk about it? Uh, I th- we already announced already it. Already announced it. Okay. Also. So we're going to do Natural Disasters. Yeah, we talked about it in the King Arthur one that we already recorded, I think. So we're going to talk about... Yeah. Uh, climate change, about volcanoes, and about an asteroid. The three right. natural disasters. Right. We're going to talk about it from a scientific angle, human, also political, whatever, through Armageddon, one of the volcano movies, and uh, the day after, tomorrow. Three movies. Okay. Very high-quality movies for you to watch. Yes. Yes. Excellent <laughs> movies. Yes. And then after that, we're going we're gonna to do... The glory of Rome. Yes. Ooh, I'm, well, this, this is a bit daunting also. I want to, to make sure we are very well prepared for Rome. We have to focus. I, I guess maybe it should be like the early centuries yeah. of the empire. Yeah, I don't want to do like yeah one podcast for the entire... We no, can't do we all can't. of Rome. We, we have okay, to be kind I'm of glad focused. That you said uh, the early days up to the beginning of the empire or something, something like that. Maybe from Caesar to Commodus. Commodus, when where, 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 when did he come? Uh, I think he's still also in the first, first century. century. Uh, he comes after Marcus Aurelius. Okay. He, oh, he's in the second century. Second. Yeah. Okay, the first two centuries of the empire. I think that makes sense. Okay. The, so, if you if you like our podcast, uh, maybe share it on Twitter on, or on Facebook or wherever you share things, WhatsApp with your friends. Let them know, yeah. yeah. And also maybe uh, give us a five-star rating, anything uh, to help us out, to make as many of these as we can. Basically, the sky's the limit in terms of how many of these 
uh, we can produce it depends on largely depends on the amount of support and the listenership is that a word instead yep. of viewership that we get so uh, help us out on that front and uh, I would like to thank our patrons for sustaining the channel and I would like to thank you Rutger and uh, people don't know but uh, very soon in like uh, three weeks you'll be here and we'll do some podcasts yep. in person maybe we'll do some three person podcasts with, uh, with Noga I have a few ideas in mind that's fun okay. yeah. so see you soon Rutger and see you soon everybody and uh, bye for now bye 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 My name is Bad. My name is Dash. Mine is the last voice that you will ever hear. Don't be alarmed.